0: of cool teens baking a cake at a rowdy house party, Taylor. And I'm the demon that gives you bad
1: familiars. The familiars that suck shit, Jemmy. And this is the Final Girl Files. This week we watched 2018's Hereditary, directed by Ari Aster, starring Toni Collette, Alex Wolf, Millie Shapiro, no relation, and Gabriel Byrne. The movie, I think, that kind of kicked off the elevated horror genre thing it's like yeah, this and, so. this and get out were the two big ones
0: yeah for sure. Uh, Let's get trigger warnings out of the way first. Uh, We got a lot of them. (laughs) Got a lot of them. Car accidents, death of a child, uh, discussions and on-screen depictions of suicide. There's a character who uh, details uh, her attempts to induce a miscarriage, unhealthy and abusive family dynamics, and a lot of heavy emphasis on the grieving process and the emotional toll that it takes on people. And... If that sounds like a lot, it's because it is.
1: Yeah, this, <laughs> this movie, movie is, is a lot. <laughs> a lot. So if any of those trigger warnings get you, I'd say skip this one. Mm-hmm. Because it's very good, but it's also very, very, very heavy.
0: Yeah, this is not a Beyond the Valley of a Dolls situation where there's a lot of stuff to trigger warn for, but it's all kind of a silly, goofy time. Like, this is a very dour film, I would say. Just for like, for
1: uh, comparison, this is the second time I've watched this movie. The first time was in theaters. And I have only now just been like, okay, I'm ready to watch Hereditary again.
0: <laughs> I remember I kept bringing up, bringing it up to you. Like I brought it up a few times. as like something that we could do on the podcast. And I remember every time you were like, I don't know if I want to watch it, <laughs> if I'm ready I to did, watch I it I wasn't again. sure if I was ready. And yeah. Were you ready this time?
1: Yes, I was. I was surprisingly more ready than I thought I would be. What uh, rewatching this movie is actually a completely different experience from watching it. I feel like.
0: Yes, I uh, had that uh, experience too.
1: Well, so now we're there. Uh, yeah, now that we're on the subject, uh, what are your memories with this movie, Taylor?
0: So I saw the trailer for this movie uh, when I went to see uh, a Quiet Place. Uh, with some friends that I went to college with. And A Quiet Place is like, fine. It's an okay movie. I remember seeing the trailer for Hereditary for the first time more vividly than I remember anything about A Quiet Place. Really? Yes, because it freaked me out so badly. And I just remember sitting in the theater and thinking to myself, I'm never going to see this movie. (laughs) And then you did. But then I did. (laughs) The first time I ever watched it, uh, I waited until it was like, until I could watch it at home because I was like, if I watched this in the theater, I think I might have a panic attack. Uh, And it was probably the correct decision because I very nearly had a panic attack watching it at home. Cause it's just that kind of movie Mm -hmm. and uh, no fun stories or anything. It was just so stressful that I was, I like, you know, when a movie is good, but you're just not having a good time watching it. Like that's this movie. Mm Mm-hmm. What about you?
1: Yeah, um, <laughs> I saw this movie for the first time with my then girlfriend in theaters, and it was our first date.
0: <laughs> Stop it right now!
1: It was our because fr- we were okay. There
0: were two movies
1: out when I went to go visit her in uh in South Carolina. Uh, this is, by the way, friend of the pod, Carm, uh, who Elle was talking about last time. Uh, we dated for a little while. It was a whole thing, and we were like, "Well, we're gonna go see Upgrade and Hereditary while I'm visiting." And Upgrade is like a very like fun sci-fi action movie directed by Lee Winnell, which I it's not. I don't think it's we're ever gonna do it on the podcast because it's not quite horror, but it's it's a fun time, and I highly recommend it. And uh, we. Missed out on our showings of upgrades. We were like, well, let's just go see Hereditary instead then. And then we spent the next two hours clinging to each other in a movie theater, eyes wide, staring at the screen.
0: And not in a fun way?
1: Not in a fun way, Taylor. Not in not a fun in a, way. Not I don't in a think, fun date way? <laughs> I don't think Harm, like, moved once. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. We were just, like, sitting there. And we had to, like, when we left the theater, I was like can we go home and watch something
0: nice (laughs) yeah this is so the kind of movie that just like does that to you
1: and then in case you needed to know what kind of people we were in 2018 we went home and watched saw (laughs) three
0: yeah because that's a nice time
1: that's a nice time you know it's a nice time oh my god um yeah so that was me seeing hereditary for the first time and i haven't watched it since uh until yesterday
0: What were you expecting going in on your second watch? I,
1: I knew better than to expect that it would be, like, the first time, because mm-hmm. you I don't think you ever watched the, the same movie, like, in the same way twice. I wasn't expecting to, like, pick up on a bunch of little details for some reason, even though I know, I knew that there were, like, a bunch of little details hidden in there, but I wasn't expecting it to have quite the rewatch value that it did.
0: Yeah, but this boy. is a very rewatchable movie.
1: Yeah, it's if you can bring yourself to watch it more than once, it's very <laughs> rewatchable. <laughs> it rewards a rewatch. It, I I don't know if rewatchable is quite the word.
0: <laughs> oh god, yeah, this is a this is a very bleak, very stressful film. It's so not the kind of horror movie that I usually gravitate towards. Um, it's not. And I think because of that, it's just, it's, it just is not, it's just another kind of situation where it's like, I recognize the amount of skill behind this movie and I love it. I, I'm probably not going to be turning to this on a whim. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, no, this movie is like, if you're going to rewatch this movie, it's a commitment.
0: Mm hmm. For sure, it's a
1: it's a little like Suspiria twenty eighteen. Although I will say Suspiria twenty eighteen is like more rewatchable in that it's not quite as stressful. It is, however, three and a half hours long. I think. Uh, yeah, so, so it balances
0: it out.
1: Yeah, it's a commitment in that way. But yeah, this movie's a fucking commitment, and you you when you sit down to watch this movie, you better be fucking ready.
0: Yeah, you got to be ready to not Process just to watch it. it, but to think about it.
1: Yeah, you gotta be ready for it to haunt you the next couple of days.
0: I mean, it's an Ari Aster movie. Like, he doesn't do... He doesn't half-ass anything.
1: Ari Aster does not fuck around. Let me tell you that.
0: No, he so does not.
1: Ari Ari Aster does not fuck around. Although I will say, Midsummer is a lot more watchable than this movie.
0: (laughs) Oh, I agree with that. Totally. Totally agree with that. I honestly... I like Midsummer better than this movie. Um... Mm -hmm. Probably just because it's less stressful of a film. It's still very scary, but it doesn't have that same tonal bleakness that this movie does.
1: And if you're looking for a movie that's three hours long, Midsummer, Director's Cut. Midsummer, there,
0: there you go. Director's Cut of Midsummer.
1: Shall I detail the plot of this film?
0: Yes, please do. What does is, what is our old friend Google have to say about the plot of, uh, I almost just said Midsummer about the plot of Hereditary?
1: When the matriarch of the Graham family passes away, her daughter and grandchildren begin to unravel cryptic and increasingly terrifying secrets about their ancestry, trying to outrun the sinister fate that they have inherited. Kind of, I guess. Yeah, that's, I mean... Broad strokes, very broad strokes, but Kind yeah. of. I, I've heard it
0: summarized better <laughs> by I have other heard, people. Yeah,
1: yeah. Before we get started, I want to shout out a couple of video essays that I watched in preparation for this video. One of them is by Jacob Saul. It's called How Hereditary Gets Under Your Skin. And the other one is from Spikema Movies. It's Hereditary, What the Script Teaches Us. And they're both very good if you come out of this discussion today wanting to know more. There's actually just a lot of good, like, if you just type in, like, Hereditary Video Essay, you're going to find a lot of really interesting stuff that people have said. People have a lot of smart people things to say about this movie. And rightly so, because
0: it's a cool-ass movie.
1: I want to talk about genre for the first part of this discussion. Please do. I think it's really interesting how Ari Aster uses genre in this movie. Uh, in that "Hereditary" gets under your skin video essay, he described it as like a horror film that has infected a family drama. Hmm. And I think part of why her, like this movie works so well is that the horror elements really do kind of like creep up on you because it's a very naturalistic start to this movie right like we're just we're going along with these characters
0: i completely agree i think that it is interesting the way that this movie is shot especially when compared to something like midsummer because of the um the color palette is so different oh Uh, yeah And especially because this movie is, I would call it like a night movie where Midsummer is a day movie. Mm -hmm. Not to say that there aren't portions of this movie that take place during the day, like God, that horrific, by the way, spoilers, Um, huge spoilers. We're just going to be spoiling the shit out of this film. Um, Case in point, that shot where it cuts back to Charlie's severed head uh, in the road uh, in broad daylight with all the bugs on it. Mm-hmm. That is a great example of daylight horror, but it's also an unusual turn for the movie. When I yeah. think of this movie, I think of darkness. I think of nighttime and the colors reflect that. The colors are very muted and dark and
1: murky. Yeah. I described it as murky in my notes.
0: Murky is a great word to describe it. Yeah. Whereas with Midsummer, it's the, the blues, the yellows, the bright you know the the sun shining down on the beautiful swedish countryside um and weirdly enough like there i feel like there is this subconscious sense that darkness equals more real
1: yeah i think especially in a horror movie you you feel Not more at ease with the darkness, but, like, you feel more like that's where... It's like seeing a frog on a lily pad. It's like, (laughs) yep, that's where you belong. That's
0: exactly where you're supposed to be.
1: (laughs) I, talking about how the movie was shot, like, uh, as you were a minute ago, I love the fucking camera work in this movie, and I Mm. love how much it works to make this house seem like a miniature that we're looking in on. I think that's so good for both just, like, the general sense of, like, voyeurism equals unease, and also, like, the people in the house, the Graham family, are being manipulated in the same way that Annie, the the protagonist, question mark, played, well, uh, one of the protagonists, like, her and uh, Alex Wolf character, Peter, how she manipulates her miniatures is the same way that the cult is manipulating this family, which by the way, there is a cult in this movie.
0: Ari Aster. He loves cults.
1: He loves cults. He loves head trauma. He loves fucked up family shit. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. I love the miniatures as a metaphor for uh And this gets into something that I wrote a lot of notes about, which is um, I also watched some video essays about this. I watched a video essay uh, by Ryan Hollinger called Why Hereditary Broke Me, which I thought was very interesting. And one thing that he says in the video is that, uh, quoting from the video, the real tragedy is that none of the family have any control over their circumstances. And um, I find that that is so not just reflective in, how horribly things go wrong for them but in the act of creating miniatures the family is being watched they are no more than dolls to be puppeteered by the machinations of the cult mm-hmm. and that also ties into the scene uh, in peter's class at school where they're discussing uh greek tragedies uh, specifically sophocles uh and Oedipus rex um, I
1: love a school lecture that ties into the themes of the movie. You yes, get it here you get it in Halloween. You get it. Yes, uh, that's the those are the two big examples I can think of. But I did note that down.
0: They do it on, in a Nightmare on Elm Street too.
1: Oh, do they? Yeah, I seen Nightmare on Elm Street. In a minute.
0: <laughs> uh, I I love that scene uh, with the the discussion of the function of tragedy. Uh, and the the question being posed uh, to the students, which is sort of also being posed to the audience of, is it more or less tragic if the characters cannot change their fate no matter what they do? Because the class is talking about the story of Oedipus. And, you know, the thing with Oedipus is that he hears, oh, there's a prophecy where you're going to kill your dad and marry your mom. So he's like, okay, cool. So just to avoid that, I'm going to go to a completely other kingdom so that I, there's no chance of this happening. Only to find out he was given away as a child by the king and queen of the kingdom he runs away to. And when he kills the king and marries the queen, those are his parents and he has fulfilled the prophecy. And so womp, it's this... Womp. womp womp. So the act of trying to avoid fate only... Like, like it doesn't matter. Like... No matter what you do, you can't escape the manipulations of these horrible, horrible people who have a plan for you and are going to see that plan set into motion no matter what. And ultimately, you know, Charlie dies. Mm-hmm. The plan to have Payman possess Charlie falls through. But it's okay. There's another kid. <laughs> They can't escape the fate. The fate being that one of those grandchildren is going to be possessed by that demon. You guys remember how we
1: said this movie was bleak?
0: It's so (laughs) fucking bleak. bleak. It's so pessimistic. Uh. And it's not usually my thing, but I... I... I like to look... I like to look at it once in a while. (laughs) You like to indulge in a little a little yeah. bleak horror. A little bit of bleakness, a little bit as of As a treat. Um, yeah, as a treat. A little bit of pessimism as a treat. We need to we need to talk about Charlie's death. Okay. Cause that is the thing that everybody remembers about this film. Like uh when I told um uh my sister that uh, I was doing this on the pod, she was like, Oh, yeah, the decapitated little girl movie <laughs> You know, her, like, her, that's the thing that everybody knows about Hereditary. Like, yeah, that's the yeah, movie her, where the little girl gets her head cut off. Her head hit tree, yeah. Mm-hmm. Her head hit tree. Her head do hit tree. And God, <laughs> something oh. about the way that that scene is filmed is so awful. It's just awful to watch.
1: Peter's reaction is what really gets me, because you- Never in fiction, I feel like, see that kind of reaction to a death, where you are just, like, paralyzed, stock still. The way the camera tracks his movement toward, like, the rear view mirror and then away,
0: it's so harrowing. Yeah. And also, when he gets home, and he does not even have the strength to tell his parents what happened. He just leaves her body in the car and gets in bed and leaves that body for his mom to find the next morning. And we don't see Annie find Charlie's body, but boy, do we hear it. We hear it. <laughs> and it and is it's a tight, it's a tight close up on
1: Alex Wolf's face as.
0: Tony Collette screams.
1: It, as Tony Colette screams. God, can we please like, I want to know how. If Collette did any like permanent vocal damage to her like vocal
0: cords in this movie. Cause Oh boy. I saw an interview with her recently where she was talking about how as an actor, you have to like work really hard to not let your body take on the emotions of your performance as if you're really feeling them. And and that was something that she had to learn how to do on the set of Hereditary.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. If any movie was going to teach you how to do that, it's it's this one.
0: Yeah, because it's just like your body, when you're screaming and crying all day, your brain doesn't have the the distance from you to be able to compartmentalize that. You that's something that you have to learn how to do, mm-hmm. and. I just found it really interesting to hear her talking about that because that's something that you really hear about with actors is like the amount of prioritizing of your own mental health that you have to do when you make a movie like this. And you can have the most supportive, wonderful director, crew, fellow actors in the world. It's still just something that your brain will do. Yeah. So, you know, shout out to Toni Collette because she really is able to just embody that absolute... Like, the the breakdown that Annie goes through throughout this film, fucking- I know this is old hat. We talked about this with with Lupita Nyong'o and us, but like-
1: It's a tr- it's- listen, it's a cliche at this point, but it still stands, that woman was robbed. She
0: was robbed. She deserved an Oscar. She- she just did.
1: I know, like, saying Toni Collette deserved an Oscar for Hereditary is like saying the sky is blue at this point, but it did- (laughs)
0: Bear saying. She did deserve that Oscar and she didn't get it because the Academy are cowards.
1: And they hate horror.
0: The dinner scene is so hard to watch. And not just because you have to try to put all of the memes about it out of your head <laughs> before you watch it. <laughs> You know, at this point, yeah. At this point, so this is just a, a sidebar, but um, one of my favorite—I listen to a lot of ASMR uh, to go to sleep, and one of my favorite ASMR creators is a woman uh, who goes by ALB in Whisperland, and she did—I <laughs> don't know if you've seen this, but it's very funny. She did a um a, a hereditary positive affirmations at the dinner table. Like, it was like a version of this scene where she was just quietly being like, it's okay. Your grief matters. You can process that however you want. It was so funny. And I think about it every time I see this scene anywhere. I just think of that fucking ASMR video because it's both so good in terms of like, it's very relaxing. And also it's fucking hilarious. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. It's really funny. And like, she's also just an incredibly talented cinematographer and filmmaker. Like the way that she sets the shot up in the video, it looks so much like the movie. It's kind of scary. Oh my God. Um, yeah, it's it's too good. Uh, look her up if you haven't seen it. Even if you don't like ASMR, it's worth a watch just because it's really funny to see a version of that scene where Annie is like a good, healthy, emotionally mature mother. Oh man. <laughs> Which she is not in this film. Um, Nope. No. No, not in the slightest. This is a woman who has never dealt with any of the problems in her life ever and is now taking that out on her entire family in the worst possible way.
1: On a scale of Graham to Wanda Maximum. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. We were not going to get through an episode about a movie about grief without one WandaVision joke. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm done. That's it. Taylor can start pe- uh, penalizing me after this.
0: You put one quarter in the Wanda oh, Maximoff put one jar. One
1: quarter in the MCU jar. Okay. <laughs> Taylor um, got really rich off our Doctor Strange episode. Yes,
0: I did. I, I bought a yacht with that money. It was very wonderful. Um,
1: And our werewolf by night one.
0: <laughs> two yachts. <laughs> two yachts. I got anyway. two yachts.
1: I remember something my friend Cecil said, friend of the pod Cecil, said back in the day when this first came out. He was talking about, like, this movie keeps threatening you with seeing the head again.
0: (laughs) Yes, it does.
1: And you never do. You never see it again after that first shot. But that first shot is so shocking. And the rest of the movie is just like, you're going to see the head again you're gonna see the head again it never does like the the thing with a trail of ants leading to peter's room yeah and all the shots of like well the one shot of like ghost question quotation marks big quotation marks charlie and her head like rolls off and turns into the ball
0: yeah it threatens you with the head and then it never actually gives it to you, so you're just in again in a constant state of anxiety for the entire rest of the runtime of the film. And I think it does a very similar thing with the
1: concept of the jump scare.
0: Yes, totally.
1: Because we there's there's one jump scare in this movie, and it's towards the end. And the entire movie, you are holding your breath, waiting for a jump scare because Ari Aster keeps teasing you. He's like, "I'm gonna do a jump scare. I'm this is." you know all the signs are here i'm setting up a jump scare and it never comes and it never comes and it never comes and then finally at the very end we get one jump scare and uh it will scare the piss out of you because you're you've been waiting on edge the whole time and oh my god he's just so good at both creating and sustaining tension Throughout this whole movie. Yes. You are never comfortable for one minute in this movie.
0: Yeah, this is a deeply uncomfortable film. In much the same way as the family is never comfortable because they never deal with their emotions. Nope. Uh, and that was something that I found super, super interesting about this movie is that everybody is lying to themselves in various ways. Mm-hmm. and lying to each other. Uh, Annie is hiding her visits to the grief support group. Steve is hiding that Annie's mother's grave was desecrated. Um, you know, especially with those two, I found their marriage super interesting to me because every interaction that they had, you know, it's there, there's this idea that a marriage should be about partners mutually supporting each other, but both of them are only ever concerned with making sure that the other one thinks everything is fine.
1: Mm-hmm. I actually found Steve a lot more interesting on this watch because I don't really remember paying too much attention to him because, I mean, obviously, Annie and Peter are kind of at the center of the movie and Steve is a little bit at the wayside. But it's it's interesting that he, on the outside, appears to be the one, like, dealing with things the best. But it is because he's just trying to compartmentalize. He's trying to just, like... Keep calm and carry on, as it were, because the other two people in his life are outwardly dealing with their grief a lot more messily.
0: I mean, he's also a psychiatrist, so he has the tools to deal with grief and yet somehow doesn't understand that he needs to pass those tools on to the other people in his life.
1: Uh, Peter, you always play psychologist.
0: (laughs) I'm not cutting that. Don't, don't. I am not cutting that the room don't, reference.
1: Don't, don't. Don't do it, coward. Keep um, it
0: in. Uh smart people thinks. Uh Uh Charlie is also super closed off emotionally. Uh and so is Peter, but uh, Charlie is closed off through her like passivity um mm-hmm. which I think is owing a lot to the fact that she was raised by her grandmother who was, you know, grooming her to be a vessel for a demon, um, -hmm. that'll fuck up a kid. Uh, Yeah, just a little bit. Just a little bit. That'll make a kid mostly normal. You know, uh, she's always saying that's okay to avoid confrontation. Uh, she avoids speaking. She does the clicking instead of speaking. And she kind of just allows herself to be like dragged around wherever. Mm -hmm. She doesn't really seem to want anything. Um, and again it's because she's been so thoroughly manipulated into this pawn for 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 the use of the cult. And it has turned her into this like passive hollow thing. And it's mm-hmm. sad. It's a sad performance. Yeah.
1: I do do that tongue click thing when I'm think it's just like a thing I do when I'm thinking. And I remember at one point I was like out shopping with Jace and like, I was like looking over a shelf to try and find what I was looking for. And I did the click and he just looks at me. He's like, did you just fucking hereditary tongue click at me? <laughs> <I> was, like, <laughs> I'm sorry. I just do it. Like I've done it. I did it way. I've done it like my whole life. I did it way before this like movie came out and it completely ruined every, now every time I do it, I'm like, oh man, does anyone, everyone around me think I'm possessed by a demon or something?
0: You might be. You are.
1: I am. I am. She's doing it right now. Her name is is Wanda Maxwell.
0: She's possessed. (laughs) And then there's also Peter, who is, you know, doing the typical teenage avoidant resentment. He, you know, he's getting high rather than confront his own feelings.
1: Yeah, the video essay that I watched, the one about the script, went a lot into that particular, especially the section on guilt obviously focused a lot on peter i didn't actually see that one it's a good one it's a good one actually i didn't know that the script was like available to read so i might have to peruse that at some point yeah i might have to i might have to read that too i know the midsummer script is available to like peruse
0: yes i have read that it's very good um i love when by the way, just sidebar, I love when scripts, like, are just available to read. I love to just read screenplays. Me too. There's actually, um,
1: because it was nominated for an Emmy, there's, like, a few WandaVision episode scripts that are available to read, so that's fun. Yeah. Uh, wish they'd put out a Multiverse of Madness one so I can kiss Michael Waldron's feet more.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you can throw more of your money at him. Yeah. Um... Affirmations. He's gonna write the Scarlet Witch solo movie, and yes, everyone's he will. gonna cry
1: about it for me. Yes, he will. Anyway, there's so many shots in this movie that are like down hallways and through windows, and it's just ugh.
0: Yeah, I always it's uncertainty. What...
1: It is uncertainty. Hey, guess what, Taylor? Guess what? There was a <laughs> guess what? There was a section on in that video as I was talking oh! about. The three points that he talks about are guilt, anxiety, and uncertainty. Interesting. Although it's interesting to watch this movie with some of the uncertainty removed, uh, I think we should probably get into like the rewatchability of this movie. Or yes, uh, that actually rewatchability.
0: That actually leads into something uh, from the Ryan Hollinger video essay that I wanted to bring up that I thought was really cool. That he talked about the rewatchability of this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically, uh, I don't have the exact quote, but paraphrased basically what he says in the video again it's the uh, why hereditary broke me video uh and he talks about how on the first watch of the film the audience is mentally like a member of the graham family you're confused and you're tormented by the horrors mm-hmm. um but on the second watch Mentally, you are one of the cult members. You are distantly watching the machinations that you know every detail of play out successfully before you.
1: Ooh, which I thought really was such
0: a fucking cool way to look at it. And I had that so in mind when I was watching this the second time because, yeah, that is how it feels. I know exactly what's going to happen and I'm just watching this plan successfully go down.
1: Mm-hmm. God, and it's Ari horrifying. Astor. Ari Aster, Ari I'm kissing you on the mouth with tongue. Like, my
0: God. I love this man. I I I hope he directs every movie. I still have not seen Bo is Afraid, but I want to.
1: I haven't either. I was supposed to see it, but uh, it we had to reschedule it. Unfortunately,
0: that's so. so sad. And now it's
1: out of theaters. I can't find any theaters near me that are showing it. I need to see it. It's like three hours long. Actually, three hours long. Not superior 2018. <laughs> three hours long. <laughs>
0: Um, I didn't know how to segue into this, but uh We do segues on here now? Yeah, we do. I thought we
1: just kind of say whatever we we wanted. <laughs> I just thought we kind of talked to each other. That was this that's what a podcast is. <laughs>
0: uh I I wrote down that I thought it was cool that the credits uh illustrate the theme of hereditary trauma because one letter of every cast member's name is passed down to the next one credited. You know, bad things in the Graham family are passed from family member to family member. I just thought that was a cool little detail that I didn't notice the first time, probably because I was too busy shitting my pants.
1: <laughs> probably because you're too busy sitting there, like, wide-eyed at the screen like Anna yeah. Carmen uh, and I were. But, you know,
0: this time I was taking notes, so... I that like that. stood out. <laughs> <That's fun. laughs> that is fun. That is fun.
1: It's one of the only fun thing about it. Yeah, this I was going to
0: say it's nice to have something fun in this film cuz god knows there's not much. Uh going back to Charlie's death, uh I thought it was so interesting that the marketing for this film
1: mm-hmm.
0: like primed you to think Charlie was going to be the main character?
1: Yep. Or at Heavy least beyond Charlie, you know, the ad- the advertising
0: focused on for more than the first 30 minutes until she dies.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. This The trailer set this movie up to be sort of like your classic like spooky kid kind of movie. If yeah. not, you know, pants shittingly terrifying.
0: And I remember seeing the trailer and being like, okay, this is like a creepy kid movie. This is like a yeah. creepy possessed kid movie. And like it mm-hmm. is, but it, it so isn't. It is, but it's not. I think that Millie Shapiro... Knocks it out of the fucking park in this film. She's so talented.
1: Has she been in anything since?
0: Not really, which is sad. That's sad. i'm I'm really surprised because
1: this movie made such a splash when it came out. This movie was like the the darling of the horror sort of community for a long time. Yeah, it still kind of is to this day. I still see people talking about hereditary or bringing it up like to compare. To other movies, yeah, lots of movies in the like late 2010s wanted to be Hereditary, so fucking
0: bad. And not a lot of some of them succeeded, but not a lot of them.
1: Mm-hmm. It's kind of like how everyone wanted to be The Conjuring, so fucking bad.
0: <laughs> well, that's just because James one is the smartest and biggest-brained man alive, as evidenced by. Uh, that's
1: true because before everything wanted to be The Conjuring, everything wanted to be Saw. Yeah.
0: I wanted to talk about something that I saw in a Wisecrack video uh, called Hereditary, How Your Family Ruined You. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I wanted to kind of expand upon a point that they make in that video, but that they don't really super go into. But I found so fascinating. Um, The idea that the structure of the nuclear family is not equipped to deal with trauma. Huh. Which is something that I had not even considered as, a, as one of the many theses of this film, but makes so much sense. Annie is the mother. The mother in a nuclear family structure traditionally is meant to be the nurturer, the caretaker. There's no room in the structure of the family for anyone to help her deal with her feelings. And she doesn't have an extended family that she can turn to for emotional support. She doesn't have anyone that she can depend on, which leads her directly into the arms of Joan. <laughs> you know Joan.
1: We all know Joan.
0: We all know Joan.
1: Interesting thing about Joan is that you can see her at the grief meeting, the, fir- the very first one that Annie goes to at the very beginning of the movie. You can see her there. Hmm. Watching.
0: Planning. Plotting. Plotting. Scheming. The structure of the nuclear family and how vulnerable it leaves Annie... Makes her a prime target for manipulation Mm -hmm. by Joan and the other members of the cult. Because again, a parent is the person that everyone else in the family turns to, to be comforted by. But who comforts mom? We've all seen the SNL skit about how mom gets a robe for Christmas. (laughs) And everyone else gets all kinds of cool shit that mom bought them. Including the dog. Including the dog. (laughs) I, like, you knew exactly what skit I was referencing. Of course I do.
1: <laughs> both, um, both of us just giving ourselves away as the kind of people who watch SNL skits I love SNL.
0: Fuck the haters. I love SNL. Um,
1: you're right. You're correct.
0: But it is that skit, but like the serious version.
1: I mean, ideally, in a perfect world, it would be Dad, but we all know... We all know what
0: some husbands are like. We all know what heterosexuality expects of dads, mm-hmm. which is nothing.
1: Zip, 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 zilch, zero.
0: Zip, zap, zap, baby. Zip, bring zap, zap. Bring, bring it back Absolutely to- Absolutely
1: nothing. Husbands bring it back get to rewarded. improv
0: class with zip, zap, zap.
1: Husbands get rewarded for uh, doing fuck all. Yeah,
0: exactly. Or, the bare, or, or
1: we're still the bare minimum. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god! My husband changed my baby's
0: diaper. Wow! Like, yeah, congratulations, he's an adult. I went away for the weekend, and my husband babysat the kids. He babysat hey. his kids. <laughs> Those are his kids too. <laughs> yeah, not like,
1: every. Unfortunately, not every husband can be Ed Warren or Vision Maximoff.
0: Exactly, uh, and that's what Ari Aster is saying. Uh, mm-hmm. At least partially in this film is this idea that like the nuclear family is fucked. <laughs> yeah, we all the kn- we all know, we all know. There's no space within that structure for the proper addressing of everyone's emotional needs, and especially moms. Moms get we, pushed to the wayside constantly. We've been new. We've been new. If you're
1: gay, if you're gay. We've been known. We, we know. We know. <laughs> if you're any flavor of queer, you
0: know. Speaking of queer, I do want to talk about something that I have not it- seen a lot of people talk about.
1: I'm pretty sure there's a video essay version of it, but I can't remember like what it's called or anything. Maybe I'm wrong. Who knows?
0: But please. Uh, so... I did. uh, This article was super interesting to me, but I did just want to read the opening two paragraphs uh, because I think that uh, Geffen articulates this in a much better way than I ever could. They've got smart people things to say. They do. So if you'll uh, forgive me, I'm just going to (laughs) read the first two bits of this article Uh, that is called uh, Trans Horror Stories and Society's Fear of the Transmasculine Body, again by Sasha Geffen. Uh, They are a very uh, intelligent and interesting writer. In a horror story, a young teenage girl feels as if she were meant to be a boy. She wears baggy clothes to mask her new curves. Her hair hangs lank and unwashed around her face, to which she has not applied makeup. Her gait is awkward, lumbering, unfeminine. The girl does not have friends and cannot identify with her peers with whom she does not share interests. She is alone except for her family, who tried desperately to save her. This is a story that has been told twice this year in different formats. It's the leading anecdote of Jesse Singal's contentious reported feature when children say they're trans, which covered the July August issue of the Atlantic and was featured in time for pride month in June. It also begins hereditary director Ari Aster's debut feature film, a visceral, harrowing horror movie about a demonic cult with an American nuclear family in its grip. The stories share a premise, but they end differently in Singal's account. The girl, Claire, is saved when her parents sign her up for therapy and take away her access to YouTube and guide her to the realization that girls can enjoy short haircuts and still be girls. Aster's version of the fable arrives at the quote-unquote tragic conclusion implied by Singals. It ends in transition. The girl becomes a boy. Basically, the thesis of the article is the idea that intentionally or not, probably... Probably unintentionally. I don't think Ari Aster is transphobic. Uh, I have no, no evidence No, I don't that. think so either. <laughs> but inten- uh, unintentionally, Charlie's ev- the everything about that character reflects a lot of society's fears about preteen and teenage transmasculine people. And I find that incredibly compelling and interesting because it is such a potent exploration of the ways in which unconsciously the biases of a culture work their way into even the most well-meaning art by the most well-meaning people. And I don't have a ton to say other than that, but I did just want to shout the article out in some capacity because it's incredibly interesting. And, uh, I think it's something, uh, that is important to bring up when talking about this movie. Maybe not, maybe important is the wrong word, but like, I think it's interesting.
1: It is interesting. It's definitely like, I think we see this a lot in horror, where like people lean into certain tropes and ex- like put different things on the screen that were not intended to be
0: offensive.
1: Uh, well, offensive uh, is that the yeah, word I, I want to use? If offensive is
0: the right word that maybe it's just like that they didn't intend for, to be playing into harmful tropes? Yeah, that's
1: yeah, yeah, that's that's probably a better way to say it. Offensive was just the first word that came to mind and unfortunately I can't think
0: tonight, I guess. <laughs> it's okay. I've <laughs> had a weird day.
1: And I'm talking God, about so Hereditary.
0: <laughs> and I'm talking about Hereditary. I watched Hereditary yesterday. Of course I had a weird day today.
1: Yeah. Um no, but I do think that like people can unintentionally play into harmful tropes just because these things are so heavily ingrained into culture that we never really
0: stop and think about them. Yeah. You don't have to be transphobic to reproduce transphobic tropes in your Mm -hmm. art. Exactly. And again... I'm not saying Ari Aster is transphobic. In fact, I don't think he is at all. No, I don't either. But <laughs> Nor it, do it's... I think this is cause for quote-unquote canceling Ari Aster. I don't actually give a shit about that.
1: No, fuck um, you.
0: We're, tr- we're canceling Ari Aster on canceled. this now. But <laughs> 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 it just is interesting to look at products of a culture that, to put it as gently as possible is having a bit of a moment right now regarding trans people mm-hmm. um, and the consequence of that is that a lot of harmful ideas work their way into culture and mindset without people realizing that they are mm-hmm. Um, I just think it's interesting and I think also there's an element in Charlie's character that um Uh, Geffen touched on in their article about uh, the idea that like the, and a lot of horror movies do this where it's like traits that are assigned to characters to mark them out as quote unquote scary are just often things that neurodivergent people do. Case in point, the clicking thing that you literally have done for years. Yeah. (laughs) You're not possessed. (laughs) You're just autistic. As far as you know. As far as I know. You could, again, you could be possessed, but, and again, I feel like I need to make this clear because, God, people take (laughs) shit like this out of context constantly. I'm not saying this is inherently evil on the part of the filmmakers. No.
1: But. I do not think this was an intentional thing that Ari
0: Aster did. It is interesting that a lot of the things that are supposed to make Charlie creepy are just things that neurodivergent people do.
1: Yeah, she's very heavily,
0: like, autistic-coded. She's super autistic-coded. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, just... you should be afraid of us. Yeah. but Because I'm... Personally, you should be afraid of me because I'm in your walls. But, like... <laughs> she's in your walls writing about
1: Vampire Hole.
0: <laughs> I so am. I am literally in your walls writing Vampire Chronicles porn. I am doing that. Yeah, um, I hear you scratching, by the way. Can you keep it down? yeah I'm sorry. listen, I just need to write I just need to write about Armand having sex. I'm so sorry. Um, I hate this episode actually. <laughs> I feel like the Vampire Chronicles might for me become what Marvel is for you, where it's like once per episode. <laughs> <laughs> It's the new Final Girl Files drinking game. Drink every
1: time Taylor talks about vampire hole, and I talk about superheroes. <laughs> Not the
0: vampire chronicles. Just specifically vampire <laughs> hole.
1: I mean, when you talk about it's sort of like it, it, it goes with each other. There, yeah, they're... there,
0: there is an inherent hole. <laughs> there... Good night, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to read some letterbox reviews?
1: Um. Yeah. Yeah, anything to- Wait, no, I don't want to end on that note! Okay! <laughs> can we have a smart people thing to say? Hold okay. on! Okay,
0: okay, oh, what my... else do you want to say? Oh,
1: hold on, I'm looking at my notes. We can't end on Vampire Hole. <laughs> Frantically flipping through your we notes to so we can not end, end on our... a Vampire Hole! We can't end our hereditary episode on Vampire Hole! We can't do it! I mean, we could.
0: Okay! Here's what I can say. <laughs> oh, good. You found something. <laughs> As I choke on my soda. <laughs> <laughs> we talk about the
1: rewatchability of this movie. I do think that there is an element to this movie that is a little bit like Skinnamarink, wherein it's different to watch if you're not like locked into it. You know? Yeah. It's a very different watch if... like, You know, I can pause the movie. I can... Take it, you know, go get a a little beverage. I can go pet my dog. I can, you know, step away from the TV for a minute. In the theater, like you're there, you can't leave. And I think that is a lot makes up a lot. And of course, again, the two different perspectives perspectives you get when you watch the movie are very present. Yeah, but there is also an element of being able to get up and walk away. That makes it a little bit less harrowing to watch at home.
0: Yeah. Uh, Which I think is a good thing if you need to rewatch this movie. (laughs) I was just having a conversation with friend of the pod, Liz. Uh, She doesn't really like horror movies. And I was saying that I used to be very afraid of horror movies. And the trick is that you just got to watch them at home and you got to know when a jump scare is coming so you can uh, turn the volume down.
1: Or you're like me and you go
0: see them in the theater alone. <laughs> I fear your power. You should. Because I still can't do that. <laughs> I'm vi- Jump scares affect me so badly. I need to be able to just turn the volume down. <laughs> I mean, jump scares also get me, which is funny because I spent
1: a good couple of years working in a haunt. I need to be the jump scarer. I can't mm. be the jump scary. Yeah anyway that's all i have to say about hereditary
0: so we don't end on vampire hole thank god thank god thank you for saying something intelligent now i would like to read
1: some letterboxd reviews taylor
0: uh, everybody give jimmy uh, an edible arrangement for making sure that we don't end the podcast talking about vampire hole because otherwise i would have just done it <laughs> so thank you jimmy. you're all welcome i found Uh, one last
1: smart people thing to say
0: so i do a segment on this podcast called live laugh letterboxd where i read funny letterboxd review letterboxd is the best app i love it i love to be on it i love to put my little movie reviews in there and i like to read other people's movie reviews i like to make people read my opinions (laughs) yes god i love to make people read my opinions and listen to them that's why we have a podcast uh siobhan says what if we kiss in king Payman's treehouse?" one of the eight kings of hell, while rejecting the Trinity and praying devoutly to him. Four and a half stars. Oh, I'm fanning myself.
1: I know. Don't flirt with me like that. And we were both girls. And we
0: were both girls. That's the most important part. Eric says, swear to God, if my grandmother is hiding some crazy shit like this in a photo album, then it's on site. (laughs) She's already dead, though. (laughs) And you can find her ghost. That's true. You could. Kate says, Tony Collette, I would really like the miniature model you made of my wig back, please. Four and a half stars. <laughs> I will say, I do think
1: Krampus was her warm up for this movie.
0: I agree. And then uh, Knives Out was her come down. Exactly. Luke says, it's all in the name. Her head, it Terry. Her <laughs> head, hit tree. Her head, it Terry. Five stars
1: her head hit tree. <laughs> it's, so all it's all there! It's all there! so
0: stupid! Oh, God. <laughs> uh, Victor says, the amount of tiny cocks at the end. Four stars.
1: <laughs> yeah, Ari Aster, uh, once again, using Frank nudity in his Ari films. Ari Aster
0: loves full frontal nudity played for horror. And he's valid for that. He is valid for that. I also get scared when I see naked nakedness. I'm naked I'm very, old people are very scary. <laughs> very afraid of nudity. Keep it away from me. That's a joke. Um, Fork P. Tone. I think that's how you say this person's name. Uh, says advice that I've never followed in my life. Do not smoke weed. Three and a half stars. <laughs> you. I've never. I've. I have never seen weed in real life. Nope, you never have. I never have. Ever.
1: I never have.
0: Not for lack of trying. Not for lack of
1: fucking trying! Hey guys, did you know I can't get high by ingesting things? (laughs) Do you know how I found that out? I found that out watching Zardoz with my fucking siblings. Both of them like in the stratosphere on these edibles. And I was just like, I feel nothing. You were just hanging out. I was just hanging out, watching the
0: two of them like flying through outer space, <laughs> <laughs> hurtling rapidly towards <laughs> the planet Venus, <laughs> while you were just sitting there watching <laughs> Zardoz sober, sober. I had to
1: knock off a re- my re- like a star off my review of Zardoz because, like, this movie, like, it was great, but I think it would have been even better high, and my edible wasn't hitting. <laughs>
0: Anyway, you were the one person who was able to say this edible ain't shit and mean it.
1: I the the amount that I tried not to say this edible ain't shit because I <laughs> I thought if I did maybe it, it, it would send hit, you to it space. Would, it would send me to space and it didn't. Yeah. Anyway, sad tangent, side uh, tangent about my bitterness. That's
0: why people listen to this podcast for our sparkling personalities and our funny life anecdotes. That's true. Uh, Danielle says, still don't think high schoolers are sophisticated enough to put nuts in chocolate cake, but it's okay. (laughs) Those high school students making cake. We didn't talk nearly enough about the fact that the children were baking cake at that party. Who's just making a cake at a party? You
1: bring a cake already made to a party? Sure. But you make the cake at the party?
0: Wild teen party. We made a black forest cake with Beautifully placed nuts all over it. And then we fed it to the child who was allergic to nuts. Yeah, we fed it to the child with the nut allergy. To be fair, they were drunk.
1: That's true. Drunk cake making. Interesting times. <laughs> That's what I parties. would do,
0: and I'm the lamest person alive. Cool teenagers in movies shouldn't be doing it.
1: It's true. Anything that we would
0: do, <laughs> teenagers in yeah, movies shouldn't be doing it. If I would do it, it, a cool teenager in a movie shouldn't ever do it. Uh, <laughs> that's all the letterbox reviews that I have. Uh, what's your star rating for this film, Jimmy? Five stars. Any movie that can make me
1: as uncomfortable and afraid as Hereditary does uh, definitely deserves five stars from me. Um, it's the first, and I believe only time I've been like actually scared in a movie theater. Oh wait, no, that's a lie. That's a lie. It's the second time because the first time was watching The Conjuring 2 and being terrified that Ed Warren was going to die. That's to my metric. Fair. To that's be my fair, metric. He could have died. He could have died. They... Okay. Everyone, gather around. The Conjuring 4 is called Last Rights. I don't like I can't take this anymore, okay? I cannot fucking take another goddamn fucking two-hour movie about being worried that these people are gonna die. I can't do it, okay? Can we please just have, like, a, a, a movie, a Conjuring movie without, like, extremely present threat of death? Can we do that? Please? Like, can we just do, like, the first one where it was like, Noah's, maybe someone's gonna die, but it's probably not gonna be the Warrens. Can we, can we do that again, please? It's, my heart can't take it, okay? My anxiety can't take it. I'm gonna have to go back to therapy. Please, James,
0: James, look at me. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it, James. I give this movie four stars, uh, cause it's not an all-timer for me. It's not a Taylor, a Taylor classic, but, uh, it's fucking terrifying and very, very good. And Ari Aster, um, Anything you want of mine, you can have. Just True ask. Leak. Just True ask. Leak. I'll give it to you. I'd like to know what he's doing next. Me too.
1: I know. Listen, not to go back to Blorbo talk, but Elizabeth Olsen did say she wanted to be in an Ari Aster movie, and God, I need to see
0: that. I also need to see that. I, I need to see that. Say.
1: I think Ari Aster should write, like, some insane part for her and just, like, let her go. Let her, let her off the leash.
0: Ari Aster, listen, I love Multiverse of Madness, but like, Ari Aster should have directed it.
1: Ari Aster directing Multiverse of Madness would have fucking killed me, so probably not. <laughs> like, it, it, it genuinely would have killed me. Anyway. So, insane episode. Guess mm-hmm. what? It's gonna get more insane. Because next time we're watching 1979's The Brood, directed by David Cronenberg, and you know what David Cronenberg is like. He's a crazy
0: person. Yeah. I love The Brood, so. It's a great movie. We're continuing uh, our month of May, Bad Moms May, Mm -hmm. by talking about another bad, fucked up fictional mom. Who yep. also gives an, a ridiculously slay performance that should have won uh, her an Oscar but didn't.
1: If you enjoyed what we did here today, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at fgfpod. And you can also give us those five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Just do whatever you need to do on your podcast platform of choice to let us know you enjoyed our little show today. And we will see you next time for The Brood. Bye, guys. Bye.